Well, good morning, saints. We return this morning to John chapter 13. Come back to the upper room. Jesus has just spoken of the glory of God's love that will be put on display when he is lifted up to die. And the glory of God's love that the disciples are to reflect uh, by having a growing love for one another. And Christ's own display of love toward them is going to be the standard. And in the midst of this teaching, Jesus conveyed to the disciples that the time for his departure was coming soon. He will leave them briefly when he dies, and then he will leave them longer term when he ascends to the right hand of his Father. And thus, he will no longer be with them in the world He will leave them in the world as his witnesses. Now, our text this morning takes us through the end of chapter 13 in John. We will see there that the news of Jesus going away is hard for the disciples to swallow. They love Jesus. They don't want to be separated from him. And Peter is going to speak up about this concern. What we see unfold in these verses at the end of John 13 is a dialogue between Jesus and Peter over his concern about Jesus going away. Our text is John chapter 13, verses 36 through 38. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered, where I go, you cannot follow me now but you will follow later. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you right now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, Will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, a rooster will not crow until you deny me three times. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, We declare that you are great and greatly to be praised and your greatness is unsearchable. And we ask for grace to understand what you have revealed in these verses before us this morning. I ask, Lord, that you would humble us with this passage. I pray, Lord, that you would make us more like Christ with it for your glory. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen titled this message, Learning to Follow Jesus. That is the issue at hand in this text. Ironically, Jesus had called the disciples to follow him, but now he's saying he's going away and they cannot go with him. Truly following Jesus must involve more than just physically following him around. Judas had done that. He was not a true follower of Christ. So what does it mean to truly follow Christ? The disciples are going to have to grapple with this question in light of Jesus' soon departure from them. And it's important that we consider that same question ourselves in relation to our walk with Christ today. The Lord's interaction with Peter in this passage will highlight a couple of key principles that we need to take to heart as we press onward in learning how to follow Christ. As we see exemplified with the disciples, it is a learning 
process. And we need to keep learning and growing in our pursuit of following Christ. And the first principle that we come to in this passage that shows us what, how true followers are to follow Jesus and what they need to do first is that they need to learn how to listen to Jesus. They need to learn how to listen to Jesus. Verse 36, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? We're presented here with, again, another interaction between Peter and Jesus. If you recall, a few Sundays ago, we saw last time uh, that they were speaking with one another, that it was around the situation of Jesus washing Peter's feet. Peter kicked off the interaction with a question there, just as he does here. He said, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus told Peter, Peter, you're going to understand later what I'm doing now. But Peter didn't like that answer. Instead, Peter told the Lord, you will never wash my feet. The next thing you know, Peter is asking Jesus to wash not only his feet, but his hands and his head also. And in the midst of that interaction, Jesus had gloriously declared Peter and all the others clean, except for Judas. What a glorious revelation for Christ's true disciples. They were Christ's and they were clean. Peter tends to function as a spokesman for the disciples. Others probably were also uncomfortable having their feet washed, but Peter tends to say out loud what others are thinking, but won't actually say out loud themselves. Sometimes there were glorious statements that proceeded from Peter's mouth. People had been saying that Jesus was John the Baptist or Elijah or one of the prophets, and Jesus asked the disciples who they believed he is. Peter declares, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Other times, Peter would have done better to think before he spoke and perhaps just have held his tongue. Right after that glorious declaration by Peter concerning who Jesus is, the Lord started to talk about his coming death on the cross. And Peter rebuked the Lord. And then Jesus rebuked Peter with probably the most severe rebuke that any of the disciples would receive. So we see that Peter is a work in progress. And all of us who are believers in Christ are also works in progress. So here comes another exchange between Peter and Jesus. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? And evidently, all that Jesus had said about the Son of Man being glorified and God being glorified in him and the need for the disciples to love one another, it all seemed to just roll by Peter in this moment. He seized on one thing. Jesus said he's going away. And not only that, but the disciples are not going to be able to go with him. We could say that Peter's showing signs of having some selective hearing. We can certainly appreciate the difficulty of receiving the news that Jesus is going away and the difficulty for Peter of the thought that he will not be able to go with Jesus. 
He, he loves Jesus. He wants to be with the Lord wherever he goes. So much so that it's all Peter can think about with respect to all that, Peter, that Jesus had just said. Peter had left everything to follow Jesus. Now Jesus is saying, I'm going away and you can't come with me. Interestingly, way back when Jesus had first told Peter about casting the nets on the other side of the boat and he catches all these fish, in Luke 5 verse 8, it says, Peter fell down at Jesus' feet saying, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. Go away from me, Lord. I'm too sinful. Now Peter can't stand the thought of being apart from Jesus. He has grown to love the Lord and to experience the mercy of the Lord in his life. Peter is just troubled at the thought of being apart from Jesus. But we do have to recognize that Jesus has said plenty already about the events that will happen shortly. So Peter sh should not be completely caught by surprise. In Matthew 16, verse 21, right after Peter had made that glorious confession about Jesus being the Christ, the Son of the living God, the text says, From that time Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed, and be raised up on the third day. Now Peter was in denial when he heard this. He rebuked the Lord and said, This shall never happen to you. In Matthew 17, verses 22 and 23, it says, And while they were gathering together in Galilee, Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him, and he will be raised on the third day. And they were deeply grieved. They were grieved at hearing these things. They don't want it to be so. And then in Matthew 20, verses 17 through 19, as Jesus was about to go up to Jerusalem, he took the twelve disciples aside by themselves. And on the way, he said to them, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles to mock and scourge and crucify him. And on the third day, he will be raised up. So Peter demonstrates that he has already not been listening well, and the other disciples are missing it too. Since it's not what Peter wants to happen, it's like he's in denial about it. And we'll see Peter's tendency toward selective hearing continue to show itself in his dialogue with Jesus as it progresses. But what happens next is that Jesus is going to graciously respond to Peter's question. Back at verse 36. Jesus answered, Where I go, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow later. Peter asked a where question, and Jesus gives a when answer. Jesus chooses not to elaborate on where he's going at this point, but what Jesus does do is he graciously clarifies for Peter that he cannot go with him now, but Peter certainly will go where Jesus is going later. And Jesus actually uses the second person singular here, specifically focusing in on Peter. He gets personal with Peter it says, Peter, you cannot come now, 
but you will follow me where I am going later. Jesus knows the question behind the question. Peter wants to know where Jesus is going because he wants to follow him there. Therefore, Jesus goes ahead and in his answer, he answers the question behind the question. He's clarifying, you cannot go where I am going now, but you will come later. Now, based on Peter's response to this answer from Jesus, we see Peter's tendency towards selective hearing show itself even more. In verse 37, Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you right now? Peter clearly does not understand the implication of what Jesus had just said to him in his response to Peter. Did you catch the significance of what Jesus had said to Peter in his response? Jesus basically guaranteed that Peter would come. It would just be later. How about that for some assurance? Peter, you're guaranteed to come. You just have to wait a bit. Unfortunately, what Jesus had said just seems to roll right by Peter as well. Peter passes right over the blessing of a precious promise of Christ that was just made to him. If only he were listening more carefully instead of staying fixated on that one thing that he wants to the exclusion of the other things that are being said. Does that ever happen to you? Do you ever have selective hearing? Get fixated on one thing to the exclusion of other things that are being said. We have to be careful especially of doing that with the Word of God. God has not called us to pick and choose based upon what is agreeable to us or important to us. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All Scripture is inspired by God, or more literally breathed out by God, and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. All Scripture. We need to heed it all. If we're not diligent in our study of the Word, we will pass right over precious promises as Peter did. We won't know what to do in situations where the pressure's on and we're concerned about what's going to happen around us as, as Peter is experiencing. We need to learn to listen to Jesus carefully. To listen to Him through consistent study and meditation upon His unchanging, inerrant, infallible, all-sufficient Scripture. We need our minds to be continually renewed by the Word, by what Jesus says. Peter had passed over the Lord's teaching about himself and his glory in verses 31 and 32. He'd passed over the Lord's command, verses 34 and 35, and the Lord's promise to him in verse 36. And we too can easily pass over the Lord's teaching about himself, the Lord's commands for us, the Lord's promises if we're not careful in how we listen to Him, what He has said in His Word. If you think about the encouragement from last Sunday morning to identify some of the one and others in your life where you don't engage in as much, where you may struggle more to walk in, it can be easy for us to focus on the ones that are more comfortable and not engage in the others. But the Lord has called us to do them all. Let's not be selective in our hearing and 
only do those that are more comfortable to us. But being pressed on to maturity, we want to grow in all the ways the Lord has called us to love one another. Simon Peter illustrates for us that the things like this that he's walking in can happen to people who love the Lord. We must all be on guard and be diligent in our study and in our application of the Word of God. We're all susceptible to missing the mark as we listen to Jesus. Ironically, in Peter's desire to follow Jesus physically, where Jesus goes, Peter is missing the deeper sense of what it means to truly follow Jesus. True followers of Jesus must refrain from practicing selective hearing with respect to God's Word. We must not be in denial about what it says or pick and choose what's significant to us over the rest. We must not argue with it, but rather receive it submissively. Jesus gets pushed back from Peter uh, with the response that he gave to him. We must receive what the Lord says and submit to it. Take him at his word. Following Jesus is not simply following him around physically. Truly following Jesus is listening carefully to all that he says. Imitating his example, obeying his commands being his witnesses in the world, hoping in his promises. And so the first principle that we've explored in this passage of learning how to truly follow Jesus is that we must learn how to listen to Jesus. We should be always looking to grow in this, repenting from selective hearing, repenting from our lack of submission to what he says. We want to grow as those who trust in and obey the Word of God. Well, the second principle that we can draw from this text as we seek to learn how to truly follow Jesus, it is that we must learn to place our confidence completely in Jesus. Look back at verse 37. Peter said to him, Lord, Why can I not follow you right now? I will lay down my life for you. Peter's not satisfied with Jesus' answer. He loves the Lord. He wants to go with him, but he's blinded by a pride that leads him to have a misplaced confidence in himself. Lord, you need me to go with you. I will lay down my life for you. He's trying to convince Jesus to change his mind. Take me, Lord. He's still referring to Jesus as a Lord. He has a respect for the Lord. He's devoted to Jesus. But he's also arguing with the Lord here, which is severely disrespectful. But Peter probably doesn't see that in himself. He probably feels justified in, in saying what he says. And in the process of presenting his argument... Peter's going to make a claim that he will not be able to back up when he's tested. He said he will lay his life down for Jesus. Notice the I. Peter's confidence is in himself in this moment. And Peter has certainly shown streaks of courage. And a little bit later, he's going to be ready to go to battle with the people that are arresting Jesus. 
But he's going to learn soon that the confidence he has in himself is misplaced. Jesus didn't need Peter to lay his life down for him. He, Jesus doesn't need anybody to do anything. He chooses to allow people to participate in what he's doing. He doesn't need anyone. He doesn't need Peter to come up with an alternative plan contrary to the will of the Father. He doesn't need Peter to go with him when he departs. He doesn't need Peter to lay his life down for him. Jesus has remarkable plans for Peter. and We see those unfold in the book of Acts. But there are some deeply humbling experiences that Jesus has in store for Peter first. Humbling experiences that will serve to prepare him for that ministry. Peter's misplaced confidence in himself will need to be broken. And Jesus will describe for Peter exactly how that is going to happen. Verse 38, Jesus answered, Will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, a rooster will not crow until you deny me three times. Jesus gives a truly, truly statement here. This is another emphatic statement from Jesus, a firm and fixed reality. Jesus says, Peter will most certainly deny him three times, and he will do it all before the rooster crow. Now, the rooster crow served as a marker of time. The conventional Roman division of the night consisted of four watches of three hours each. First was evening, six to nine, and then midnight, nine to twelve, then rooster crow from twelve to three, and then morning from three to six. And rooster crow was called by that name because roosters typically started crowing at the end of that watch and into the morning. So Jesus is basically saying, before this night is over, you will have denied me three times. Peter's a bit too sure of himself, is what Jesus is pointing out, and what Peter will learn. In Matthew 26, and let's turn and look there, it's interesting because we'll see that Jesus actually repeats to Peter this prophecy that he would deny him three times. He said it to him in the upper room, and then in Matthew 26, beginning in verse 30, it says, After singing a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. So at this point, they've left the supper headed for the Mount of Olives. Verse 31, Then Jesus said to them, speaking to all the disciples there, You will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike down the shepherd and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. Listen, <laughs> Peter said to him, Even though all may fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Jesus said to him, Truly I say to you that this very night before a rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, Even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. 
And all the disciples said the same thing too. It gets contagious. Peter's arguing again with the Lord about this, and all the disciples are starting to say, no, 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 we will not deny you. We won't be scattered. Jesus has already said this once to Peter and specifically told him about denying him three times. He's reminding him again about it, and Peter is still defiant against that and will not receive it as what is going to happen. He, he's determined to prove the Lord wrong on that. And Jesus is firmly planting this prophecy in Peter's heart so that he will remember when it happens, that it happened just as Jesus said it would happen. Proverbs 16, verse 18 says that pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before stumbling. And 1 Corinthians 10, 12 says, Therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed that he does not fall. Peter's misplaced confidence in himself, his pride is going to lead him to stumble and to fall. Peter is ready under certain circumstances to face death, like when he's later going to go and chop off someone's ear, he's ready to fight. I mean, there's lots of soldiers there and he's, he's just ready to go at it. But the Lord was standing right there when Peter does that. Peter was not ready to stand firm after Jesus was arrested and all seemed lost. The one who said that he would lay his life down for Jesus would be one who was completely unwilling to be associated with Jesus when he was tested. Think about how Jesus loved Peter through all of this. Jesus had known what Peter was going to do, and yet he never disowned him. He loved him. He spoke the truth to Peter, sometimes hard truths. He warned Peter. And later on, when Peter falls, Jesus will eventually restore Peter. And even that fall that Peter experiences, Jesus will use to build faith in Peter's heart toward him. He will remember the Lord said this would happen and it happened exactly how he said it would. He is the Lord. Peter will remember that he was wrong and Jesus was right. Peter will realize that Jesus was showing himself to be exactly who he says he is. And what happens to Peter serves as a warning to us. Confidence in ourselves is a misplaced confidence. We must learn to place our confidence completely in Jesus and not in ourselves. The point of our lives as Christians is not showing what we can do for God. Rather, it is remembering what God has done for us and living for him out of gratitude for what he has done for us. Living with our confidence in him and not in ourselves. Now let me ask you, where does your confidence lie? Do you believe you're going to heaven? On what basis do you believe that? Are you thinking that your 
good deeds might somehow outweigh your bad, or that you prayed a, a prayer, or were baptized, or any other number of things that you've done. There is only one basis upon which a person can be right with God, and that is faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ, the Son of God who took on human flesh, who lived a sinless life for His people, never straying from the Father's will in any respect. And then He obeyed all the way to the point of the cross, and He died there to pay the eternal penalty that we deserve for our sins. And then He rose from the dead to demonstrate that He had defeated sin and death for His people. This is the only basis that God will accept. And so, we must repent of our sin and believe this good news about Jesus. This is the only way. It is only Jesus who can give you life. Now, for those who are trusting in Christ, we need to have a James 4, 13-16 attitude about life. I want us to turn there. As we think about what does it look like to live not with confidence in ourselves, but confidence wholly in the Lord. James says, chapter 4, beginning of verse 13, Come now, you who say today or tomorrow, we will go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You are just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Here's a picture of someone who's basically saying they can command their future. I'm going to go do this and do that and earn this and earn that, and I can guarantee it. This is what I'm going to do. And James challenges that way of thinking and that approach to life and says, no, you need to recognize who's really in charge of the future. It is the Lord. He is sovereign over all things. And so we can plan but we have to hold those plans with open hands because we don't reign over the future. God does. And it is proud to say that we can command the future, that we can accomplish this or that, whatever we want, go where we want, do what we want to do. James teaches us that we are to live our lives continuously with the mindset of, as the Lord wills, that's what I'll do. He is in charge, not me. My confidence is not in me. My confidence is in the Lord. He reigns. He is in control of all things. And so as we think about what James is teaching us here in relation to placing our confidence completely in the Lord and not in ourselves, where is our confidence as a church? It should be in the Lord and in His Word. The name of our church conveys that we want to be a people of the book. 
We are a Bible church. We want to be a church that hears and believes and obeys the Word of God. But having Bible in our name does not automatically make us so. We must continue to strive to center our confidence on God and His Word. We must continue to strive for a biblical philosophy of ministry in all that we do. We want to do things God's way for the glory of God. We must reject man's strategies and extol God's sovereignty. We must reject the world's wisdom and submit to God's word. Have you ever tried to assemble something without the instructions? And you run into issues because of that. Perhaps you installed things in the wrong order, so you have to go back and start undoing it so you can put it together in the right order. There's a reason the steps are written out in the order that they are. You run into issues as a result of not paying attention to the instructions, not listening well to them, and having too much confidence in yourself. (laughs) Sounds like the kinds of issues that Peter got into and that we see revealed in this interaction with him and Jesus. Not listening properly to Jesus, having a misplaced confidence in himself. Now, admittedly, sometimes those assembly instructions are not done well. (laughs) And perhaps something will be intuitive enough that you can get by without using the assembly instructions. But when it comes to matters of the soul, And knowing how to follow Jesus, there's only one manual. And it is inerrant. And you cannot arrive at its truths intuitively. The truth it contains is specially revealed by God. You can be sure to fail if you're not listening to it properly and consistently. And if you're placing your confidence in your own intuition and abilities. Following Jesus requires listening carefully to what our Lord says in his word and doing so submissively rather than pushing back in the way we see Peter do with Jesus we must take him at what he says and we must not place our confidence in ourselves but put it completely in Jesus have no confidence in the flesh I want us to look at Philippians chapter 3. Paul speaks of the flesh and the issue of having confidence in the flesh. Beginning of verse 2, beware of the dogs, beware of the evil workers, beware of the false circumcision, for we are the true circumcision who worship in the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. And he's going to go in and talk about the flesh for him, his, all the, the things on his resume, things he's done things that are marking him out as, as someone who might think, hey, I'm, I'm elevated among the Jews. 
It says, although I myself might have confidence even in the flesh, if anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more. Circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to the righteousness which is in the law, found blameless. These are all things saying he's a Hebrew of the Hebrews. He's the cream of the crop in the eye of the Jew. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as a loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish, so that I may gain Christ. And may be found in him not having a righteousness of my own, derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death in order that I may obtain to the resurrection from the dead. We see that once Paul was able to see Christ as precious and able to see the value of Christ and knowing Christ, all those things that he had counted gain, all those things that he had confidence in, he thought of them as rubbish, to be thrown away in comparison to knowing Christ. His confidence had come to be placed in Christ. Christ was his life. Christ was his righteousness. Christ was his hope. And so that is where our hearts need to be drawn. No confidence in the flesh, but wholly placed in Christ. In learning to follow Jesus, Peter was going to need to learn how to listen to Jesus. And he was going to need to learn to place his confidence completely in Jesus. Being selective and non-submissive in his listening to Jesus was going to hinder his following Jesus. He's, he's thinking, I want to follow you, Lord. I want to go where you're going. And in his interactions with Christ, he's hindering himself from truly following in the way he ought to follow. And having a misplaced confidence in himself is going to hinder him from following Jesus. If Peter had been careful to listen, he would have been able to enjoy the glorious assurance that Christ gave to him that he would certainly come to where Jesus was going. It would just be later. And Peter would learn that placing confidence in himself would lead to disastrous and painful consequences. It says when he heard the rooster crow, he wept bitterly. It stung to recognize how much he'd fallen with all that confidence in himself. But even so, Peter's loving Savior would pick him back up and restore him. Even when we fail miserably in our pursuit of following Jesus, he is faithful to pick us back up and to restore us. He will complete what he has begun in those who believe. We think of the the glory of God's love on display in the death of Christ and 
Romans makes the argument, if he died for you, how much more will he not provide all of these things? He died for you, of course he's going to pick you up and restore you when you fail him. He's not surprised by it. He knows all that's going to unfold. And he is so good to come to us again and again and again. To pick us up, to restore us, to make us more like himself. So let this exchange between Peter and Jesus drive home that the Lord is always right. Don't argue with him. You will never win. And don't think that he needs you. You need him. Peter says, I'll lay my life down for you. Jesus says, you don't need to do that. He has it covered. These are important lessons for us to learn as we seek to grow in following Jesus. We desire to follow Jesus. and We have to learn these lessons. We're thankful the Lord has used Peter's life to teach us, to show us his work in Peter's life and how he can work in our lives. So as we think about the days ahead, in our desire to follow Jesus, in our individual walk and in our desire to follow Jesus as a church, may we be careful to listen to, to believe and to heed all that the Lord has said and to do so submissively. And may we strive to place our confidence not in ourselves, but wholly upon Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for your grace and mercy. We thank you, Lord, for Peter and the ways that you worked in his life and the record of that in the Scripture that we might learn from these things, that we might learn to follow you as we learn how to listen to what you've said. Help us, Lord, not to be selective in our listening. Help us to be submissive to what you say, to take it all in, to believe it all, to heed it all. And Lord, help us to learn to not place our confidence in ourselves, not in our flesh, but to put our confidence completely and holy in Jesus. And I thank you, Lord, that even when we fail in our seeking to follow you, I thank you that you are there, that you are faithful to pick us up, to restore us, and to continue your work of making us more like Christ, continuing your work to deepen our faith, we pray, Lord, that you would bless us as we go forth to be faithful in implementing what we've learned, learning to listen to you, learning to trust wholly in you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.